0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So throughout these midweek services, we have been looking at how God calls people to come and see Jesus. We saw Andrew pointed to Jesus by John the Baptist in his preaching and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And hearing that and seeing Jesus, what does he do? He runs after Jesus. And immediately after seeing him and hearing Jesus speak, he invites his brother Peter and he says, Come, I have found him. Then we had Philip immediately after that, who was called by Jesus. Jesus walks up to him and says, Follow me. And as that happens... He runs to his friend Nathaniel and invites him to come and see Jesus. And so tonight, I want to reflect on why these invitations, why this preaching, why this proclamation of Jesus, this pointing to Jesus, is so important. It's necessary for anyone who wants to take part in Jesus to hear who he is. Because each of these invitations included the promise of who Jesus is. John said Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the one who's going to die to take away your sins. Andrew told Peter that he had found the Messiah, this, this one of David, this anointed of the Lord who would deliver his people. Philip told Nathaniel that he had found the one who Moses and the prophets of old had spoken about. These invitations include the proclamation that Jesus is the long expected Savior. And without this proclamation, there are no believers. They can't happen, they won't exist. There will be no church. There'd be no sacraments. There'd be no divine grace extended to man. There'd be no knowledge of salvation. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ, without that hearing, without that preaching, without this proclamation, there'd be no faith. Rather, there would be the opposite of faith. There would be rebellion and hatred toward God. Everything that pertained to God would be met with such cynical and wicked aversion that no one would dare to think of him as good. merciful or gracious. God either would be a means of control through the fear of the wicked or he would be viewed as something best set aside and ignored. And that is because the hearts of men are darkened by sin. And this darkness leaves us blind to who God is and what particular mercy god bears towards us in christ the christian religion is absolutely unique and the mercy that it extends to sinful people see god is merciful for the sake of his own good gracious and loving nature he's merciful he's gracious he's loving because that's who he is he gives men better than what they deserve and so he sends jesus to be our savior and our redeemer And this is unlike any other religion. All other religions center around what men do for God. For example, we take Islam. It's all about conformity to the tenets, the pillars of Islam. You keep the fast. You pray five times a day. You give the alms. You struggle against the infidels and you make the pilgrimage. You're good. You do the work and you please God. That's how you're elevated to God. It's through what you do. The same can be said for Judaism. It's about keeping the customs and the rituals of the law. It's about these outward works of the body. And then there are the Eastern religions that they blend paganism, spiritism, and self-discipline with the promise of enlightenment and oneness with the divine. Of course, there are religions of our time and day, too. They all focus on what you say, what you do, how you think, and how you behave as we think about the modern religions of our day, the civil and cultural religions, the scientism, the equity, the patriotism, the partisanism, the sexual deviance, the blind acceptance of progress. What do these religions call upon man to do? Well, with blind acceptance and without any reservation, you must do what you're told. Shout your abortion, Celebrate the gay wedding. Transition those kids. Trust the science. Hold the party line. If you don't, what happens? You quickly fall from grace. This is the darkness that the hearts of men dwell in. And why? Does this really sound all that comforting? Does it sound all that helpful? Do these religions provide any real relief from the effects and attacks of a sinful world? Is there really any confidence, connection, and help from God? The answer to these questions is no. In all of these, God remains distant, man remains lost. And this is exactly what the darkened hearts of men prefer. Why? Well, it's because the rebellion runs deep, and the scriptures teach us that God's power and divine nature are evident. They proclaim the divinity, the power, and the glory of God as He has created the heavens and the earth, as He's painted His majesty in the skies and in the seas and every bit of the creation. Saint Paul teaches us. He says, "For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against unall godliness." and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and all the things that have been made. And so man is without excuse. You see, God makes himself evident. He proclaims, his glory and his power, his creative mind, his beautiful handiwork, and the whole of creation. And he also continually reveals his natural affection to you, to all mankind. He provides. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. He feeds, he nourishes, he protects, God's goodness is evident in the fact that we are allowed to continue existing at all. Of course, God has never allowed also for his preaching to perish from the face of the earth. He's revealed to us from the very beginning that it is his loving desire and his good and gracious will to save us from the futility that this creation has been subjected to. He proclaimed to every generation since Adam until today that he is the God who saves. Yet what do men do in the darkness of their heart? They suppress that truth. The idea of a God who saves sinners, that's that's awfully repugnant to the sinful flesh. This means that God wishes to free people from what their sinful hearts actually desire. And so beginning with Cain and working down through every generation, men have chosen to reject that God of grace. And they have chosen a life of separation. And they have erected new gods for themselves. Just as Paul has said, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Why? Why do people create gods in their own likeness and worship things that they have fashioned for themselves? Well, it's because these self-fashioned religions Feed our sinful nature. They pump us up full of pride. They give us the credit and the pleasure that our sinful nature craves. They will only tell you no when it serves the greater purpose of inflating someone else. And so many religions have been fashioned for the sole purpose of controlling the simple and empowering the wise, which is the ultimate desire of the sinful flesh. It desires to strip others of their humanity so that a few may take the place of God. Why else do you think so many in our world seek to kill the unborn? Well, they're sacrifices, of course. At the altar of pleasure, personal freedom, wealth, fame, glory, and every other form of vanity. And these are what the religions of this world promise vain things that feed the ego, that maximize pleasure, that unbind us from obligation to other people and ultimately they give us wealth, power, possessions. How rapidly we fall into this way of thinking as we look at the world around us in just a few decades, how it's embraced so much hedonism and debauchery that sin has been codified and to laws of the land as a human right. The worship and life under the God who created heaven and earth has been stigmatized as old-fashioned, irrelevant, and sinful, according to the religions men have devised in their dark hearts. And we would be wrapped up in this darkness if not God had shined his light upon us. If it were not for the word, we would be like so many of the blind and wicked in this world. We are not immune as Christians to the dark urges that the heart desires for. As we look at this evil world and all the things in it that grieve us, it's important to remember that we have been freed from it by God's grace alone. It is only the divine help and healing that Jesus brings that opens our eyes so that we see this truth and become wise unto the salvation that belongs to our God. That is how John and Andrew and Philip and Peter and Nathaniel were called out of darkness. It's that Christ showed his light upon them. And that's what happens in John chapter 9 as we read about the man who was born blind. See, Jesus comes across this man and his disciples look down upon him. In their pride, they say, he did something. They ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And they missed the point. See, they were still thinking according to the darkness of this world, where one man is elevated over the next for the sake of sinful pride. And when that is the case, it must be that this blind guy is a greater sinner than the rest of us because I'm better off than him. They're thinking of the world and life before God according to karma and the, the works of man's religions rather than the grace and the mercy of the true God. And so Jesus quickly shows the disciples the nature of the true God. And he says, it's not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work, and as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, this man was not blind because he had some particularly offensive sin in him, but so that God might show him who his Savior is. This man lived in the darkness of his blindness for the sole purpose of the revelation of the light of the world. And in this, God actually honors this man and shows him great love. And this is made perfectly clear when Jesus heals him of his blindness. What's really interesting in a whole episode in John chapter 9 is that this man whom they regarded as a sinner getting his comeuppance and his blindness was blessed and relieved from his misery by a gracious God. They were more offended, the Pharisees at least, by the perceived violation of their Sabbath laws. They grow angry at the blind man's declaration that Jesus is the prophet, that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. The fact that Jesus is merciful, that he's gracious, that he's loving, that he has regard for this poor man in his misery, oh, that's that's irrelevant. But Jesus is merciful. And he's not going to let this blind man live in any shadow of a doubt who it was that restored his sight. And so after the Pharisees are done with him, cast him out of their presence, Jesus finds the man and asks, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man responds, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It's he who is speaking to you. And so the man replies, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. You see, even as this man received his sight, darkness still could have possessed him. So what does Jesus do? He turns on the light. He declares himself for who he is. He is the Son of Man. He is the Savior of the world who comes to redeem us from the powers of sin and death. And that is what we're celebrating this Advent season. It is His coming. This is a beautiful time of the year. Here we have the darkest nights, the shortest days, the the coldest of winter. And what do we hang up around us? But light. Light. It's the arrival of Jesus that shines that light in the midst of the darkness of our own hearts. And that is what this is all about. Paul clearly says that man's hearts are darkened, and that men left to themselves cannot do anything but reject the true God. And yet God is merciful. He does not abandon us to perish In the misery of darkness of sin, no, he comes and shines his light upon us. That's what we'll read on Christmas morning in John chapter one, where it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. Without him was nothing made that was made and in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light that shines in the darkness makes it so the blind can see. And as the darkness scatters, our rebellion and our idolatry are revealed for the vanity that they are. The lie that the darkness wants to propagate is that men, that we men, we human beings, must justify ourselves according to the wisdom of the darkness. But as Christ comes in the world, we see that can't be. We see the righteousness of God. We see what he has come to do. Because he has come to fulfill God's righteousness. He's come to do what men failed to do. He has come to do what our rebellious and wicked hearts would not allow any of us to do. And that is is to fulfill and to do and to complete the will of our Creator. He comes to do that light of the world, and He comes to be what God actually created man for in the first place. He comes to be holy. He comes to be obedient. He comes to be faithful. And in this, he serves as the perfect atoning sacrifice for you and for me. He dies. He suffers. He experiences the hell that we should perish in. And why else would the world have succumbed to darkness at the hour of Christ's crucifixion? Well, the darkness rested upon him. It believed that it was prevailing. And that is because the darkness has no concept of God's actual love and mercy. Because it was mercy and love that drove Jesus to the cross. And at that moment, even as the darkness thought it had snuffed out the light, it was overcome. Jesus crushes sin. Jesus crushes death. Jesus crushes the devil, and everything that is dark in our own hearts, every temptation to sin, every inclination to evil, every little bit of lust and idolatry is crushed under his feet. and He forgives you. You are free from the darkness. The light of Christ has shone upon you and not because you've earned his favor nor because you have fulfilled any form of perfect righteousness in yourself, not because you have it all sorted out in your head or not because you say and do everything perfectly. No, the light of Christ has shone upon you because God has demonstrated his mercy. In the same way that he demonstrates his perfect love and his perfect mercy to the blind man, who had no help for himself, he does so for you and for me. And he does so because he causes his word to be preached. He has called us each out of darkness into the light of the gospel of forgiveness of sins. Where the gospel of preached is preached, the darkness scatters The darkness, the sin, the death, the evil, it cannot coexist with Christ. There is no room for vanity or pride or self-justification. There's only Jesus. And he is the light of the world. He is the light that shines in you. And he frees you from the dark grip of sin by forgiving us all of our sins. He calls us out from the work of darkness into the light of life and faith in him alone. We know that... We would be blind, we would be lost, we would be deceived, we'd be given up to the lust of our old sinful nature, but by the grace of God. God proves his gracious nature. We've not been turned over to our passions, nor have we been destroyed by them. Rather, we've been called out from them and made into something more wonderful. There were certainly those who did deny him. Those of his own people would not hear him or receive him. But those who did not deny him, he has blessed. John says, but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of our flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. You have been made to see the light of the world. You have been caused to see the dawning of the great morning star of the gospel in the dark night of this world. You've been made to see the glory of Christ by faith alone and he has sent Andrews and Phillips and John the Baptist into our lives and into this world to proclaim that Jesus is the light he has turned the light on in you and that light has shined and you have been made into children of God rejoice rejoice in your deliverance Rejoice in your salvation and never take for granted this gift that has been given to you in this life. In the name of Jesus, amen.